Daily news and analysis. We keep you informed and inspired. This is World Today. Hello and welcome to World Today. I'm Zhao Ying. Coming up, China expresses strong dissatisfaction over the European Union's probe into Chinese electric cars. Is the EU's investigation protectionist in nature, as China has argued? Japan releases a second round of nuclear contaminated water. What could be the long-term impact on the marine environment and public health as the discharges are expected to continue for decades? And what's behind the repeated incidents between the China Coast Guard and Filipino vessels in waters near Rengai Reef? China has expressed strong dissatisfaction over the European Union's anti-subsidy investigation on Chinese electric vehicles. China's Ministry of Commerce said the probe lacks sufficient evidence and is inconsistent with WTO rules. The ministry said it will keep a close eye on proceedings and firmly safeguard the legitimate rights and interests of Chinese companies. For more, we are now joined on the line by Professor Liu Baochun, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Professor Liu, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, so, Professor Liu, China says uh, the EU probe is purely based on so-called subsidy manners and subjective uh, presumptions and is not in line with uh, the relevant WTO rules. How would you assess China's argument and uh, what exactly does the WTO rules stipulate regarding anti-subsidy investigations? Well, any uh, type of such uh, investigation is really a, a pre-assumption. Uh, because uh, uh, two reasons. One is that uh, the uh, government with the right jurisdiction can uh, launch investigation, and uh, stakeholders, particularly the competitors, normally launch investigation uh, into uh, possible subsidies. So it's a hypothesis that uh, really requires uh, further proof. And that is why they, uh, they have uh, uh, 13 months for such sort of investigation. Uh, as a matter of fact, the, uh, it is n- not really very new uh, for this type of measure, although it is targeting now to the Chinese e-vehicles. Uh, over the years, the uh, several hundred cases has been lodged against China uh, for its uh, subsidies because of the uh, Chinese uh, competitive edge uh, enjoyed in Europe. And uh, with WTO rules actually and WTO has the SDM uh, mechanism, which means the subsidies and countervailing measures, uh, which uh, prohibits the uh, direct export subsidy or subsidy for uh, import substitution. But if you see the Chinese case so far, as I understanding, there's no type of uh, uh, the subsidies within this uh, two actionable categories. So, uh, therefore, I do not really see much of the hope that uh, they are going to be a successful case against China. And this is uh, uh, embroiled with some political considerations when de-risking or reducing dependence on China is uh, making an outcry. So I think the politicians will have to respond to some of the uh, concerns or misunderstanding. So, uh, therefore, uh, you know, uh, the, through the investigation, they also have to measure 
whether uh, there's a substantial injury to their industry and whether uh, that's going to be beneficial. If any uh, punitive tax uh, that can be levied on it uh, to the uh, consumers and uh, a business circle within Europe. So, therefore, uh, I think it's not really a spam, a spam but uh, uh, actually, uh, if we look ahead, we cannot really see much of the substantial damage and it's going to give a boost uh, not only to the uh, competition uh, in Europe, uh, but also you know, provide more of the aid to the much-needed green economy that is uh, uh, on high agenda within the EU. Yes, and China also argues that the short consultation period provided by the EU before launching the investigation is unfair to China, especially when it's during the holiday season. How do you look at the timing of this probe? Well, uh, as I said, uh, one is the uh, political outcry, and uh, some of the leftists are really hijacking uh, the uh, political consideration. And uh, the other is, uh, yes, China really has a, a very aggressive edge because there has been such a surge over the last uh, several years uh, for the export because, you know, we have more than 400 e-vehicle manufacturers and uh, they are competitive and they uh, are both in terms of quality and also in the cost. So, therefore, uh, it is the uh, uh, something our concern within the comp- uh, uh, within the competitive landscape. However, uh, much of the Chinese exports ac- actually are receiving the investment from Europe. So therefore, uh, they kick the European companies out in China to enjoy the low-cost advantage. But then they shut the door for the uh, uh, for the export from China. So this is really a, a little ridiculous in that way. Mm-hmm. And, and China says uh, the EU's approach is to protect its own industries in the name of fair trade and um, is in fact pure protectionism. Uh, would you agree that uh, the EU's investigation is protectionist in its nature? Well, it is perhaps, uh, protectionist, but uh, uh, you know, according to uh, WTO rules, uh, no uh, uh, member within WTO are really. Uh, there to have the obligation to uh, inform the other party of uh, anything of that nature in terms of subsidies, etc. And uh, the uh, when actually Europe really started to generate their business, for example, Airbus, etc., they also uh, you know provide subs- uh, subsidies well in in big volume. And uh, the Chinese uh, in uh, Chinese e-vehicle industries receive some of the job stock money, uh, but uh, that's a long time ago, and uh, now they are fully competitive. China supports the research, uh, supports even the education and training of those professional stuff, and that can really make the Chinese exports very competitive. So this is really something that is uh, welcome, actually, uh, even by pure economic theories. But, you know, uh, the EU argues that um, a flood of cheaper Chinese electric vehicles is entering the European market due to state subsidies. Uh, I mean, is, is this a fair argument? And, and what do you think are the primary factors that have contributed to China's rapid development in the EV industry and its competitiveness um, in the global market? 
look at the Chinese uh, uh, e-vehicle uh, market and the the, uh, automa- uh, the auto market itself. It, you know, we are populated by so many EU brands. Uh, Volkswagen takes more than forty percent of the Chinese market share. So they are there investing here, and they take advantage of the uh, cheaper labor and professional uh, operation. And so, uh, therefore, uh, because the uh, Europe does not really provide that type of uh, a competitive environment for those, uh, you know, businesses, so they therefore it is really the uh, competition neutral that really makes the Chinese. Uh, uh, the uh, e-vehicles, you know, to have a surge. And plus, that uh, EU, when uh, during the Ukraine conflict, the EU has been you know, yearning for the uh, energy transformation, and China's uh, export of e-vehicles is really come to the aid or relief to the uh, big uh, anxiety that is going on in Europe. And now you can see that our consumers, dealers, they all like the Chinese uh, stuff. And provided it's not only the product, but also, you know, a company with service, uh, etc. So, therefore, this is something that is uh, there, uh, you know, to have a mutual benefit uh, on uh, both sides. Well, as we know, auto industry in Europe has a long history. So are China's electric vehicles really posing a threat to the European auto industry, as the European Commission claimed? Well, uh it is a threat to some of the, uh, you know, slow-moving in uh, slow-moving automakers. Uh, you know, uh, Stantis, for example, they have uh, world coverage, but they are not really making money even within China, and they uh, they are the uh, main driver behind all this. Uh, the uh, uh, well, uh, behind all this type of investigation. So complaints doesn't really solve any problem, doesn't give any of their competitive edge. So therefore, they need really to carefully to study, you know, what are the Chinese competitors uh, are doing uh, in terms of reducing cost and expanding scale and facilitating their uh, export drive uh, in a uh, in a fair and transparent way. So therefore, uh, simply by deterring the uh, the competition from overseas, that's not only violating the uh, global uh, trade rules, but also it's going to make them even even more, uh, you know, lazier and uh, even uh, inertia. So they have to, you know, catch up and learn from the competitors. Yeah, that's a very good point. And, and how might the German car industry, for instance, um, which has a significant presence in China, be affected if the EU imposes punitive measures against Chinese against Chinese counterparts. So uh, that's that's really a sort of irony, and uh, uh, you know, as a matter of fact, the the EU doesn't really provide the uh, right type of market, doesn't provide the type of uh, the investing environment, and 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 hence you see that uh, you know so many uh, EU brands are flocking into China, and they also. Uh, see that there's a uh, huge potential for further growth in Chinese market share, and actually, uh, you know, with the man- with uh, the manufacturer uh, within China by EU investment, they are really beating around the world. So uh, some of the you know low, slow movers or leggers uh, in the uh, you know they like to stay at home, and then they begin to complain. You know, why you guys are are, are taking our market share? 
because it is really the consumers and it is the dealers and distributors who really are making the choice. It is not really the Chinese exporters uh, who are doing that. So therefore, uh, it it really comes to really to alleviate uh, a lot of anxieties of those consumers because uh, you know, EU you know levied tax on the consumption of uh, non-renewable energies, etc. So right now, this is really uh, something that can really benefit on uh, both sides, and so that uh, they can really earn the grace period for a further and and the dramatic the energy transformation, uh, not only on the roads, but also in boosting the further uh, innovation. So therefore, competition needs to be kicked up uh, rather than you know stifle those competition with protectionist measures. Yeah, thank you, Professor Liu Baocheng, Director of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. You're listening to World Today. Stay with us. You're listening to World Today. I'm Zhao Yang. Japan has started the second release of nuclear contaminated wastewater from the crippled Fukushima nuclear power plant into the Pacific Ocean. The Tokyo Electric Power Company says it plans to carry out the release over 17 days to discharge 7,800 tons of the radioactive water, roughly the same amount as the first discharge that ended on September 11th. The discharges are expected to continue for decades. The move has been strongly opposed by local fishing groups and neighboring countries, including South Korea, China, and Russia. For more, we are now joined on the line by Herman Laurel, the founder of the Philippine BRICS Strategic Studies Group, a think tank on Philippines in global affairs. Herman, thanks for joining us. Yes. Good evening. Um, so Tepco claims that the released water is treated to reduce radioactive materials to safe levels and then diluted with seawater to make it much safer.、Uh, but how much do we know about this、uh, treatment process and its long-term reliability? Well,、uh, in all the reports that I、uh, read and、uh, review, there is always a caveat that、uh, not all experts agree with the.、Uh, Uh, conclusion of the Japanese、uh, authorities and TEPCO, and of course、uh, we keep uh, reading the uh, uh, misinformation of、uh, endorsement by the、uh, IEA, IEAE, the International Atomic Energy Commission、uh, Administration or Authority, which is inaccurate. They neither endorsed it nor uh, uh, banned it or, or objected to it, but. That was a cop out of their、uh, re- responsibility to really regulate、uh, the sector, the atomic nuclear sector. In the Philippines,、uh, we're thankful that we're being alerted again to this second release, and、uh, so I would expect that in、uh, the coming days、uh, we should stage another uh, uh, action. In reviewing the、uh, developments all over the world today, I also am encouraged by the、uh, reports. That、uh, Russia will、uh, follow suit with China's boycott of um, of uh, Japanese seafood exports and、uh, maybe take other actions. So,、uh, thank you、uh, for China's leadership on this matter. We are a small country. We don't seem to make a dent when we we uh, protest, uh, and our government is allied now to the.、Um, To the Japanese government、uh, and the others in that、uh, 
that uh, triumvirate in the in Asia with the U.S. So, so our government is not taking any action or voicing any concern about this. So it remains for us the population of the Philippines, and our fishing sector, of course. Uh, is also objecting. We have fishing fishermen's group that has already voiced their objection and taken action in the past months, but um, we'll have to organize again in the coming days. Okay, so as you said, Japan insists that the water is safe. Uh, the IEA report suggests uh, a negligible radio- radiological impact, but some would argue that, um, actually China argues that the IAEA report is not persuasive enough to greenlight Japan's disposal. What is your thought on the legitimacy of Japan's action? Well, uh, I expressed before in other uh, discussions and interviews that uh, Japan's concern or TEPCO's concern is mainly their bottom line, their profit. uh, And that is not justifiable because this is the safety not only of the present, but the future uh, of our Pacific Ocean uh, and all the, especially of course, our South China Sea, which uh, in a few months will already be getting the inflows uh, from the circulation of this water uh, dumped by uh, Japan. So, so we're very concerned and uh, we do not believe that the risk uh, is worth taking just for the money that TEPCO will be saving. There are there have been suggested methods uh, that are safer uh, and maybe equally uh, budget-wise, uh, but uh, TEPCO is not taking that uh, course and that is condemnable. Okay, so so China has suspended seafood import from Japan, and you mentioned that uh, Russia could follow suit. But um, actually, despite the damage to the seafood industry, the Japanese government showed no sign of ordering its plans. Um, and it argues that the discharge into the ocean is unavoidable due to storage capacity limitations and the need for decommissioning uh, the plant. Uh, I mean, do they have no other options but to continue with uh, the, this plan? And, and do you think this is um, irreversible? Well, if we listen to uh, Japan's suggestion and TEPCO's suggestion, uh, uh, they will always insist on the method that they have uh, decided on, which is to dump it in the Pacific Ocean, uh, which is uh, unacceptable. And it is not correct that there are no other better alternatives. There are many, many other uh, better alternatives, which we have heard from uh, many experts also. Uh, We have, of course, uh, heard uh, their TEPCO's experts' objection and those who support them objection to more storage tanks saying that uh, they're earthquake uh, they're earthquake prone uh, they can also be damaged during earthquake but there are many counter suggestions of earthquake proof tanks you know, mm-hmm. a major tank storage systems that uh, Japan can use at least for the next few more years while uh, other uh, approaches are uh, discussed uh, on this uh, wastewater. So uh, it's just that uh, Japan is not taking its responsibility to the present and the future environmental uh, safety of our oceans and our fishing industry. Mm -hmm. Okay, and also the Japanese government uh, said earlier that construction workers stole and sold possible radioactive metal from near the Fukushima nuclear plant. Uh, Does that raise concerns over the handling and management of radioactive materials in the Fukushima region? 
Yes, yes, I have um, I've uh, read about that. I've come across that. But this is a pattern of TEPCO. Uh, it is also their own uh, responsibility, inefficiency, incompetence that led to this crisis uh, and led to the crisis uh, during the earthquake itself. Uh, we have reviewed some of the uh, documentaries of their uh, fault in their management of the crisis. And this, uh, this irresponsibility, this incompetence continues to today in this matter of the wastewater. Uh, the motivations are really questionable because uh, there is no government, I think there is no nation, no community in the Pacific uh, Rim that uh, is happy about this uh, dumping of the wastewater from Fukushima, uh, except for some of the political allies of the United States and Japan uh, most nations are aghast at uh, this uh, insistence of uh, on dumping all these uh, poisonous waters in our in our in our oceans. So, okay, yeah, uh, we just have to continue to condemn this. Yes, that, that's right. But uh, I mean, apart from uh, condemnation, uh, what role and efforts should the international community undertake? Uh, if we consider the potential global implications of Japan's move and the concerns uh, raised by various stakeholders? Well, with the uh, the unreliability of the IAEA on this matter, which is the international agency that uh, we uh, vested our trust in, uh, we can only look at the United Nations. But again, uh, I do not hear much from the United Nations on this matter. It remains for the uh, directly affected uh, governments uh, with some uh, uh, international clout like China and hopefully Russia becomes more active. Hopefully uh, the pressure in South Korea from the people uh, on the South Korean government can also be effective and the people of uh, Japan on their own government. But right now we're really relying on China to take the lead and uh, step up the pressure and we will do our part, uh, however small we hope it will grow. Uh, and uh, in the coming months, when more evidence of the negative impact of this uh, arises, then we will have stronger arguments against what Japan is doing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, by the way, how would you assess uh, the diplomatic and trade relations between China and Japan um, in light of this dispute or Japan's relations with other um, countries that might be affected by this move? Uh, well, the trade relations of Japan and uh, China, I think, uh, will continue to prosper despite all the pressures because uh, Japan needs uh, trade of China, trade of China. For the rest of the region, I think uh, it, will, it is the same story. In the Philippines, of course, there's tremendous pressure, political pressure from the United States to uh, limit uh, the Philippines' uh, positive relationship with China and cooperative uh, efforts. But uh, I think reality will dawn on our political leadership here also that the Philippines cannot grow without China in this region and without ASEAN and China together. So uh, I think it's just a matter of time that uh, uh, trade will overcome all the barriers that the West is trying to put uh, in our Asian uh, unity and solidarity. Okay, thank you, Herman Laurel, the founder of the Philippine BRICS Strategic Studies Group, a think tank on Philippines in global affairs. Coming up, what's behind the repeated incidents between the China Coast Guard and Filipino vessels in waters near Renai Reef? 
And remind our listeners, you can follow us on Twitter on X at CGTN Radio. You're listening to World Today. Stay with us. You're listening to World Today. I'm Zhao Ying. China Coast Guard says it issued warnings and conducted necessary control of a Filipino vessel that illegally entered waters near Renai Reef on Wednesday. China has urged the Philippines to immediately stop infringing in Chinese waters, stressing China's indisputable sovereignty over the Nanshai Islands and their adjacent waters, including the reef. For more, we are now joined on the line by Liu Kuangyu, researcher at Institute of Taiwan Studies at Chinese Academy of Social Sciences. Dr. Liu, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, so first of all, could you provide some context and background on the Renai Reef and its significance? Yeah, sure. Uh, uh, we see the importance of Renai Reef is, can be reflected in the following aspects. First uh, is uh, geographical location. We know that this reef is located in the eastern side of the Philippines, right in the center of the South China Sea, very close also to uh, China's Taiwan Island with... Uh, uh, fine conditions to build a large military port and berth aircraft carriers. And second is development potential. There were a large number of oil and gas resources and natural gas reserves in the South China Sea near this reef. If the construction uh, uh, is completed, it will become an excellent seaport and provide more energy and economic support for China. And third is the strategic location. The, the United Reef is located in the center of the South China Sea. It can effectively control surrounding waters and monitor the dynamics of multiple waters, which helps China to have a greater strategic initiative on the South China Sea. Uh, and the fourth is that international law status. Uh, we see that development and management of resources and waters around the United Reef will bring more advantages to China and will also bring provide more legal and political support for China's diplomatic disputes uh, uh, in this uh, South China Sea. Yeah, so what are the key factors contributing to these uh, repeated incidents between the China Coast Guard and Filipino vessels, especially in recent months? Uh, The immediate factor is that the Philippines' recent uh, provocative actions in this South China Sea have triggered China's measures uh, to safeguard its rights. We see that Manila has been accusing the Chinese Coast Guard of using water cannons to prevent a Philippine military supply ship uh, uh, to, uh, to to reach a decommissioned uh, warship stationed on the reef in the South China Sea. The Philippines said, actually, they deliberately and they illegally stand, stranded this warship in this area, and there are certain troops on it seeking to create this uh, kind of illusion that the Philippines controls this island, controls the water while uh, legitimizing its uh, illegal occupation and claims. The problem that the problem is that the relationship between China and the Philippines has has a sort of inherent structural contract contradictions. But uh, uh, we know uh, we know that the relevant uh, the relevant disputes between between China and the Philippines in South China Sea uh, they involve territorial sovereignty over some islands and reefs and maritime jurisdiction claims, which bear some supreme national interest on both sides. Therefore, it's unrealistic to seek a complete settlement in the short term. But uh, there is also another factor is that uh, the 
uh, there is some, some uh, long-term interference from uh, external factors, such as the United States. We see that this disturbance of the United States uh, has been a direct factor between the long-term high fever of this maritime dispute, disputes between China and the Philippines, as well as recent escalation of the situation. Uh, we see that uh, during President Marcos' visit to China in January, the China-Philippines joint statement reaffirmed that the disputes in South China Sea will be should be handled in a peaceful manner and will be. And there and the two sides agreed to restart the consultation mechanism and joint development of oil and gas resources in South China Sea as soon as possible. However, it seems that the United States is not very happy to see this relaxation of maritime differences between between the China and Philippines. Uh, has taken diplomatic, military, and other means to add fuel uh, to these maritime dis- disputes between the two countries so that uh, uh, the situation continues to heat up. Okay, so China argues that uh, it conducted these actions in accordance with uh, the law, and it also stresses that it does not accept any claims or actions based on the South China South China Sea arbitration, which mm-hmm. China says violates international law and is mm-hmm. illegal, null, and void. Uh, I mean, what do you make of China's legal arguments regarding the South China Sea issue? The first that uh, we see the China's announcement of the water. Uh, using the water uh, water cannon explosion to the water cannon explosion of illegal Philippine vessels stems from a legal document that took effect in June this year. That is the official uh, implementation of the Chinese China's Coast Guard Order Number One. The main content of this order is a clarified formal impl- implementation of the provisions on this procedure of handling criminal cases by Coast Guard agencies, which uh, uh, clearly stated that the Chinese Coast Guard has the right to expel foreign vessels, remove foreign facilities, and arrest and, and interrogate foreign fishermen illegally operating within the scope of China's sovereignty in the South China Sea. And uh, also on the arbitration issue, this, uh, we see that the Chinese government has solemnly stated on many occasions that it would not accept this sort of arbit- arbitration. And uh, we have uh, issued a position paper before this arbitration, so uh, it should be said that the Philippines and, our, and the arbitral and our arbitral tribunal have seriously violated China's legitimate rights. And as a state party to UN clause, the arbitration completely divides from the object and purpose of the UN clause and undermines in uh, the integrity and authority of the UN clause. And, and that is why the China will, will not accept it at all. Okay, and you you mentioned about the external factors such as uh, the U.S. involvement in the South China Sea dispute, and actually the U.S. military has just kicked off uh, two weeks yes. of military exercise with the Philippines and other allies of the U.S. in the region. Um, h- how to look at um, such kind of moves and its uh, potential impact on regional stability? Well, we've been seeing the U.S. Navy routinely operates in the South China Sea and also the Taiwan Strait as well, including the transits, uh, so-called transits in the Taiwan Strait and so-called freedom navigation operations near the, the South China Sea islands to challenge China's maritime claims that the U.S. considers to be excessive. But we see the U.S. foreign policy has uh, consistently pursued a double standards, posing a threat to regional and world peace and stability. There is neither legal nor moral uh, basis for the U.S. interference in the South China State affairs. The U.S. has not, has not exceeded 
the UN uh, UN class, uh, but it's trying to create conf- uh, create conflicts in this South China Sea in the name of this UN class. Uh, the U.S. attempts to increase interference in the regional affairs under various pretexts, which will only undermine the regional uh, peace and stability. We see that U.S. is trying to intensify the South China Sea issue in the, in the, hope, in the hope of replicating the strategy of Cold War area, forming a U.S.-led alliance system around South China Sea, strengthening its control over regional countries and containing China. At present, many ASEAN countries are feeling pressure from the U.S. and concern about the U.S. In attempts to increase the military presence in this region. And the risk is uh, to regional securities uh, brought by the U.S., uh, British, Australia, nuclear submarine cooperation have also aroused serious concerns among many regional countries. Okay, and, and briefly, uh, how do you think incidents like, this, uh, like these are going to impact China's relations with the Philippines? Uh, the, U- the, U- the U.S. and its Western allies have ignored China's maritime rights and interests to challenge China's bottom line in issues in what as ownership of the, of the South China Sea. This is tra- forming the situation of so-called containment of China at the sea, making the cost of China's breakthrough in the so-called first island chain uh, a much higher, hinder- hindering China's deepest expansions cooperations with relevant countries and undermining the peace and stability of South China Sea, including Philippines. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Dr. Liu Kongyu, researcher at Institute of Taiwan Studies at Chinese Academy of Social Science. You're listening to World Today. Stay with us. You're listening to World Today. I'm Zhao Yang. London is on the verge of reclaiming its ground as Europe's biggest stock market less than a year after Paris took the top ranking. The combined market capitalization of primary UK listings is around 2.9 trillion US dollars, just behind France's 2.93 trillion. Analysts say the French market benefits from trading in luxury firms such as LVMH, while London has more major oil and gas companies like Shell and BP. For more on this and the European economy as a whole, Zhao Yang spoke with Chu Qian, the assistant director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University. So first of all, Professor Chu, how have they got to the point that London might be overtaking Paris again to be Europe's biggest stock market? Well, I don't think I will be surprised by that news. Actually, Paris overtake uh, overtook London, actually can be a news, but London has been serving as number one uh, stock trade exchange in Europe for a very, very long time. Actually, it's been more than hundreds of years. Uh, the reason for that is uh, most valuable European companies are mostly uh, listed in uh, London, for example, uh, the HSBC, uh, Shell, and uh, other luxury brands. You know, So I think last year, the Paris overtake London is mostly because uh, the sterling pound depreciation and also the inflation happens in the UK is very serious. But after that, I think returning to the normal status, uh, London will regain its uh, glory as usual. And this is the stock market, but talking more broadly on the European economy, the inflation in the eurozone was 4.3% in September. This is still stubbornly above the ECB's target. So how would you explain the reasons behind? 
Well, I think the reason behind that is uh, multiple. I think um, uh, everybody will know that uh, the uh, pandemic and the long COVID situation will generate lots of impact even for now. And um, I think the issuance of a huge quantity of the um, uh, currencies actually hit Europe and it generated very serious inflation, as well as we see the Ukraine crisis and still be there and lasting for a very, very long time, as well as the whole global economic cycle has now been hitting the downturn, So, which means the re- uh, demand shrinking in Europe as well. So basically in Europe, they have high inflation together with the low growth and low demand. That can be a problem. Uh, I, th- I don't think this situation can be alternated in a very short term. Still, we need to see what we can do to improve that. So can the ECB control this high inflation with the monetary policy, I mean the interest rates alone? No. Actually, I think monetary policy currently can only serve as a very, very you know, limited role in controlling the inflation. Well, you, you can actually kill the inflation by raising up the interest rate by a very large extent for sure. But don't be fooled by only the concept of inflation because when we're talking about economy, it's not only about inflation. It's actually about the real GDP growth and the people's benefit. You can have a very low inflation like Japan, but also you can have basically zero growth on the economy. So people's benefit wouldn't grow as well. So that's something you don't want to see. And also in some emerging markets, even though the inflation is considerably high, but also their real GDP growth can be also very high. So people's uh, living standards are also being improved. That's something we can accept. But right now, I think the problem is that we don't see solid positive growth in the GDP in the European Union, especially for people's real income. For example, in the UK, in Germany, people are actually having negative growth of income compared to the inflation, even though it's only 4% rather than 8% or 10%. So I think what we need to do is to restructure the whole economy, restructure the taxation systems as well as the social benefit systems to improve that. But all in all, I think fundamentally we need to see investment and in technology and breakthrough in technology in Europe again. Mm-hmm. And a latest survey shows that Eurozone economy probably shrank in the last quarter of this year. It said demand fell in September at the fastest pace in almost three years. So how do you explain that? Currently, uh, we call the overlapsing of multiple factors, uh, economic cycle, uh, geopolitical conflicts, and also the European Union's economic structure of itself, as well as a long COVID impact and the money issuance uh, alongside with that can all be the contributors of the current the deadlock of the economy faced by the Europe. And it's not easy to solve that kind of problem because it's more than European Union's own effort. It needs global joint effort. And earlier you mentioned Germany. So what do you think about the German economy? This is Europe's largest economy, but it is predicted to post a 0.4% fall in economic activity this year. So how much of a concern is the German economy, do you think? Well, Generally, I'm very positive about German economy for sure, because German economy is very, very real economy oriented. They're the Mm. largest manufacturer of the whole Europe, as well as for the rest of the world. Um, They are very, you know, characteristic because uh, they are, you know, centered around the high tech manufacturing and they have world renowned, um, you know, SMEs, small enterprises, but very, very lucrative and very strong with the technology. 
But I think the current situation and the the, uh, the uh, difficulties faced by the Europe uh, by the German enterprises and their economies because the multi overlapping factors, as I just mentioned. And uh, in order to solve that, I think the most uh, urgent issue is for German and the European Union to get involved with the geopolitical conflicts and also to make peaceful deal rather than the disruptors in the situation. So the Europeans' whole situation can be calmed down and therefore the oil and the gas prices can also be lowered, which has already been lowered in the early of this year, but currently it rises up again fervently. So which makes the European economy, especially the German economy, ups and down. So these things need to be solved. And also in the long run, Germany needs to solve lots of demographic structure problems as well as uh, restructuring of their whole economy. And uh, that can give German economy more of the sustainability and more of the potential in the future. Mm. And we know that China and Germany recently renewed the high-level financial talks. Uh, Professor Xu, why it was important to establish this mechanism between the two countries? And how do you see the significance of restart of this dialogue now? Well, you have to understand the fundamental arrangement of the world economy is actually very simple. We call it two wheels. And uh, the two wheels is the American capital plus Chinese manufacturing power. That's how the story goes, which continued the whole world's economy after the 2000 for more than 20 years with high-speed growth. And also between these two wheels, there is a third party, which is the European Union, uh, led by uh, Germany and France. So in Germany and France, they also have capital, not as large as America. So you see London Exchange, uh, Frankfurt Exchange, and the Paris Exchange are important, but not that large, even smaller than Hong Kong and Shanghai and Shenzhen. And also they have manufacturing power, not very large, but also very important. For example, they can build air buses and uh, the Phantom, you know, air fighters and etc. And also the bulletin transit. So high to high product. So together, this triangle makes sure the whole world runs smoothly economic wise. But right now, since America tries to de-risk with the rest of the world and they try to put America uh, first to prioritize America interest and also make America great again by uh, isolating yourself from the rest of the world market. So which means the European Union and China now have more than ever the demand to, you know, bond with each other more closely. And Germany and China has a, a very long time friendship, uh, you know, for hundreds of years. Especially in the current past uh, 20 years, they've been working very closely on economy. Uh, they prioritize manufacturing. Now, I think it's time for them to have more of the arrangement and financial resources so they can just fulfill the blank uh, or the vacuum left by America in a capital corporation. So they can, you know, um, on one hand, uh, join hands in manufacturing and high tech, but on the other hand, uh, to help each other with the financial. That's Xu Qiang, the assistant director of the International Monetary Institute at Renmin University, speaking with Zhao Yan. The 19th Asian Games are underway in Hangzhou with many new sports events making their official debut. How are sports evolving in today's digital age and how popular are these newly added sports like skateboarding? Xu Qingdu spoke with Sabatino Araku, president of World Skate. We have seen a lot of enthusiasm for this uh, both roller skating and skateboarding uh, events. You know, tickets for those matches were already sold out in a quick manner. 
Are you surprised by their popularity? Oh, no, I am not surprised. I am not surprised because the popularity of our sport, we are the sport for the young, but many people, also the old, follow us. And so I am not surprised it's sold out for the ticketing. in, in yes, one so It's a fully expected. <laughs> Very confident in that manner. Uh, well, uh, let's go back a little bit. You know, in 2017, uh, the International Skateboarding Federation, or ISF, you know, became part of the World Roller Skating Association uh, after a few years of negotiation. Then the name was changed into World Skate. You know, as president of World Skate, uh, uh, share with us, you know, how has the new association been operating over the past few years? No, in the the, the seventeen, we was at the assembly in Nanjing, and so I remember very well when we changed the name, and we includes in our federation also the ISF was the private association of the skateboarding, but they are working with us from an year is very good, but we changed the name. Not because it was very nice, also because it was the International Roller Sport Federation. Because it's the new appeal for the youth people, World Skate is very easy to, un to understand, very, 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 uh, very good style, good style for the, for the youth people. Mm -hmm. uh, so, the, uh, you know, basically the combination of the bodies uh, helped you know, promotion of the uh, sports? Yes, yes, we promote a lot this, but uh, but no, it was very, very, very difficult. We put our effort for arrive to to promote the the the, the, the skateboarding for arrive to the Olympic Games for forever the, the good result in the world. But also in China, you look, you can see what are is what is strong our appeal now. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, speaking of China, of course, in you know, the one city, uh, you already mentioned the name of the city, Nanjing, uh, stands out in terms of uh, uh, this skateboarding. Uh, for example, uh, it was named the capital of ruler sports in 2016 uh, by the world uh, uh, former, I would say, uh, ruler skating association. So what made Nanjing the capital of ruler sports? I must I must say again thank you so much to Nanjing and all China sports because all China help us because believe us I remember in 1915 we start one project with the Nanjing city we organized the big seminary big seminary for the coaches and. 2016, the, the World Championship for the Speed for arrived to in the in 2017, the first World Roller Games of the history, and so thank you to Nanjing, we arrived to this great result. After Nanjing, we arrived to 19 in in Barcelona, and last year in in Argentina in to the Buenos Aires. But uh, thank you to Nanjing because all uh, us to start was mm -hmm. the first uh, the first capital of the roller sports. Mm -hmm. We do see the popularity increasing 
basically throughout China, in particularly big cities, you know, Beijing, Nanjing, Guangzhou, Shanghai, for example. So tell us, you know, uh, how did it become popular in China, such activities, such sports, and how do you read the development of uh, ruler sports in China, in particular in comparison with other more advanced countries in this field? But uh, yes, but uh, we are uh, improved in the, in the popularity in the world, you know, or in China. In China, particularly because China is uh, the, 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 the national of the youth people, because you are very many, many young people. But also, uh, we, the, the roller skating, particularly, no, you said only the youth people. We look at the many, many, many senior people like me, you. Use the, the 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 roller skating for uh, for fitness, on the way on the bicycle way, for the no use the no go to running or bicycle but prefer go to roller skating because it's the good fitness. The roller skating are the shoes of the field for me. Mm -hmm. oh, well, roller skating you mentioned, of course. Uh, is there any any prediction or any um, you know uh, like a discussion about when will roller skating also be included in the Olympic Games? Yes, we are working. Uh, we are speaking with the, the IOC particularly, and we hope we can arrive for Los Angeles. If you think in Los Angeles, born the 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 the, the inline skates. In the in the past, in the, the end of the ninety the nineteen eighty years, the first years of the ninety, and so why not? We look, we can look in the future what roller marathon with the the, the inline skates. This is our our dream, and we are sure it will be the great success. And also some discipline of the scootering is now a new generation because many people use the, also the scootering or the skateboarding for go to the office. Is a is a, a many many one one scooter one skateboarding one skateboard is one one car no in the in the way is good for for our clean. Yes, increasingly integrated into our daily lives. Uh, also, uh, Mr. President, you know, as there are more kinds of uh, entertainment, you know, constantly emerging on electronic devices, uh, do you find that playing sports, uh, even the most popular ones such as you know football and basketball, is facing a decline in many parts of the world? But I hope it can be the opportunity for us. We we must not have the the fear about this because we have many people the young people use the, the computer the phone for uh, we know but we can be all the opportunity for us to organize the, the championship our federation together in a, in a, on the track but also also the e-sport together that is Sabatino Araku, president of World Skate, speaking with Shi Chinduo. And that's all the time we have for this edition of World Today. I'm Zhao Ying. Thank you so much for listening. See you next time.